0: Good to see you here this morning. This is our fourth and final week in a short series on the Holy Spirit. And there's no doubt that we will come back to this topic often in the months and years ahead if the Lord tarries to come back for us. It has really been encouraging to me to hear how many of you have done further study outside our Sunday morning teaching time and outside. I know some of you are also doing a study in your life group as well. And yet you've studied outside of that, and that's been a a really good thing and an encouraging thing. I want to tell you as well that I have personally done more reading and studying on the Holy Spirit in the last few months than I have in my whole Christian experience, including my education. Like I have paper that hangs on a wall that says I'm supposed to know all this stuff and I'm supposed to be an expert, and yet I've done more reading and studying in the last few months than at any time prior to that, and it's been a really, really good thing for me. And I intend to continue that journey for myself. I have been surprised over the last several weeks at the number of people who have told me that they have not ever been in a church teaching setting where they've heard specific teaching on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, which is pretty interesting to me that there are so many of you that are like that. And that certainly tells me one thing and that is that we do need to do more teaching on the subject of the Holy Spirit in the future, and we will definitely do that. There are some who see the Trinity as God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Bible. And they just kind of ignore that Holy Spirit thing if you grew up like I did, where you studied in the King James, and he was referred to as the Holy Ghost, right? I mean, the only ghost I knew was Casper. He was supposed to be a friendly ghost. But, I mean, you know, that's just kind of freaky type stuff. And so there are many of us, I'm convinced, that in our Christian experience, it has been God the Father, God the Son, and then the Holy Spirit kind of thing going on over there. But we don't talk a lot about it. Now, there are also... A number of you who have been in situations, maybe you have grown up in churches, you've been part of a church where there may be an overemphasis on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit to the exclusion of our understanding who God really is, what his attributes are, what his works are, who Jesus really is, what our relationship with him looks like, and, and there's been an overemphasis on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit and it has become more experiential than anything else. And I want to tell you both extremes on that continuum are wrong. We need to have an understanding for sure of who the Holy Spirit is and what he is doing in and through those of us who have trusted in Christ alone as our personal Savior and we have a saving relationship with Jesus. So here's what I want to do this morning. I recognized right at the beginning of the first service and I I'm even more so recognizing it at the beginning of the second service because our time is even worse than it was in the first service. But hey, it's good for the new members to share. And I I do want to say, if you're thinking about coming to Northwest, if if buying you Chick-fil-A will push you over the line, (laughs) how simple can you be, really? I mean, come on. Christy, she's a doctor. I mean, she's a very smart woman. And yet, all I had to do was buy her family Chick-fil-A. And that pushed her over the edge. Appreciate your honesty and transparency. We value that here at Northwest. But if that's what it takes for you, for some of you, it may take Mexican. I'm good with that, too. I've got lots of places that I can take you. So I'm really glad for that, but our time is uh, short this morning. I told the first service, when I, we started Northwest, I decided I was gonna do something that I had not done in 20 years of pastoral ministry and I was going to manuscript. Every Sunday, I was going to manuscript. I was going to do that. I'd been encouraged by a mentor in the past, actually several mentors, to do this, and I'd always refused to do it. I said, look, all I need is my Bible and an outline. The Spirit of God will speak through me. That's what I did for 20 years in student ministry, but when I started Northwest, I started manuscripting. Just to give you an idea, I never stick on my manuscript, so that's, you know, but I always have it right here, just so you know. But normally I have eight or nine pages in the big font that I need because my eyesight is failing. But this morning I have 17 pages, all right? Don't worry, all right, don't worry. I heard groans. We're going to talk about those in just a moment, those groans, which are spiritual utterings. We're going to talk about that. So I recognize I've got six questions that are, that are here, and we're not going to get to all six of them, so I'm just going to kind of dive in, and, and I'm going to stop when I know we need to stop so we can finish the service with a couple things that we've got planned here at the end. But we decided that on this last Sunday, what would be good for me to do is to do just frequently asked questions about the Holy Spirit. These are questions which I've been interacting with people over the last few weeks, or Questions that I get on a regular basis as I interact with people on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, which I do from time to time. And so I'm going to do just that. Now, I want to start out by saying that I I told you the first Sunday when we opened this study that I want to be open to us being consistently learning and understanding. You got to understand, most of the things that I'm talking about here this morning, I have believed these things, held to these views, studied these things for 30 plus years now. So this, this is not new to me. And yet we do believe that one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit of God in the life of a believer is what we refer to as illumination. That is the Spirit of God working in the life of a believer and helping us to understand Scripture giving us understanding of what God said we needed to know, and so therefore he gave us in his word. And I want you to be aware of this, um, this disclaimer. I am a consistent, constant learner. I want to be that way. You ought to want me to be that way. You shouldn't want me just to be somebody who I'm I'm stuck with. it. I was convinced of this at this point, and I'm no longer going to study scripture and ask God to give me wisdom and understanding. You ought to want me to be a reader and a studier. In fact, to a certain degree, that's what my responsibility is here at Northwest. And so I'm going to do that. And so what I share with you this morning, I'm going to be very clear, in fact, here in just a moment to give you an opposite view of what I hold to on the sign gifts, those miraculous gifts. And I want to be fair to you. I'm going to recommend some books to you here at the end. Some of these books, I don't necessarily hold to the belief that's in all of these books here. I don't think they're damaging to you, and I think there is some room for some disagreement of where we specifically are with regards to some of our doctrinal understanding of the Holy Spirit and how he works in our lives today. So that disclaimer right up front, I don't say that because I'm a compromiser. For those of you that have been here a long time and you've known of me, I'm accused of a lot of things. Compromiser is not typically one of them. Uh, somebody that's wishy-washy, somebody that's not willing to, I'm, I'm, I'm accused of a lot, but not that, all right? So that's not what this is about. I'm just trying to be fair and honest with you and tell you that I want to be a constant learner and studier. And if I come to you five years from now and I say, look, I have become convinced of this, I'm going to tell you just that. And by the way, most of what we'll talk about here this morning is very different than what we talked about the first week when we did Holy Spirit 101, the basics of the Holy Spirit, who he is and what he does and what he does in our life. We don't have much room for compromise there. We believe very core things about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. What I'm going to talk to you about this morning, there are really good, solid evangelicals who are a lot smarter than I am that, for whatever reason, disagree with me. I can't understand that, but they do. All right? So just disclaimer, want to be fair, because I know some of you will hold to some different views than I will espouse here this morning. And I also would love to dialogue with you at a future time if you'd love, if you'd like to do that as well. All right. So question number one, I'm asked, I have been asked about what does it mean that there is a second blessing? Typically, this is a Pentecostal term. It's a term that's used by the assemblies of God. In fact, if you were to go to their website, you would be able to see some things that are written about this. And when they refer to the second blessing, they believe that there is another time, there's a subsequent time after salvation in which we actually receive the Spirit of God. That is something that that we should should actively pursue. We We should pray for it. And that's a critical moment, they believe, as well. And that is evidenced then according to Pentecostals and according to those that are in the Assembly of God Church. It's evidenced by speaking in tongues. Uh, The Spirit gives them utterances. And they further teach that this experience is distinct from and subsequent to the experience of our salvation. Now, there are uh, several passages in Scripture, and we covered this on week one in the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. So for the sake of time, I'm not going to get into it all. But we believe that at the moment of salvation, that we receive the Holy Spirit of God. Ephesians chapter one and verse 13, Romans chapter eight, verse nine, that at the moment when we trust in Christ alone as our personal savior, the spirit of God comes to indwell, to invade our lives. And that's an awesome thing. That's an amen moment right there. That's an awesome thing. He comes and he takes up residence in our lives. And that's where, as we've talked about in previous weeks, he comes, he he convicts us of sin. He brings comfort. He brings assurance of our salvation. Wonderful works that happen at that moment. There are some, however, that hold that at a subsequent moment, the Spirit of God comes and you should pray for that moment. The interesting thing is that we are never commanded any place in the New Testament, if you want to, you can begin your search right now, we are never commanded in Scripture to seek or to pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now it's very important that we understand and we distinguish between the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 5.18, we are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. Now, when we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit at salvation, we can also simultaneously be filled with the Spirit. In fact, we see that in the, uh, the book of Acts. That can be a simultaneous thing. There can be moments when we're walking in the Spirit, we're filled with the Spirit, and other moments where the Spirit of God is indwelling us, but we are not experiencing the fullness of the Spirit of God Sometimes because we're quenching the Spirit of God, we're grieving the Spirit of God. But those are two very distinct things. Some people may call the filling of the Holy Spirit a second blessing, perhaps. But really, the filling of the Holy Spirit is just the, the ongoing work of the Spirit of God daily as we walk in the Spirit. And so we don't believe that there is a second blessing. Contrary to the pastor of a megachurch that I listened to just a few weeks ago, listened to his podcast, and at the end of the service, he asked people to come forward and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We believe that Scripture is quite clear that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is received at the moment of salvation, and that subsequent to that, we are filled with the Spirit of God as we walk daily in the Spirit. All right. Question number two. And, and this is really the, 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 the biggie when we talk about the Holy Spirit, and that is our miraculous gifts for today. None of the other stuff ever gets us in trouble, right? We don't ever have people, you know, nobody would beg me to preach a little bit more on the spiritual gift of giving. You know, just bring it to us. Tell us what that gift looks like, just in case I have it. You know, that that gift of helps where we just always want to be involved helping and ministering to people. Teach us more about that gift. But there are a lot of people that have a very high emphasis on the miraculous gifts or as sometimes they're referred to as the sign gifts. This is regularly debated in evangelical circles. And I want you to know that there are differing views even amongst those who have an incredibly high view of Scripture. If you've been at Northwest any length of time, you know that we do. We believe that God's word is inerrant, that it can be trusted, that it is our source of doctrine and truth and and the basis on which we live our lives and how we live our lives. I want you to understand there are people that believe just what I said just then about the scriptures that believe the same thing that I believe, that have a very different view than I have of the miraculous gifts or the sign gifts. You say, who are those people? Most pastors won't name them. I'll name them, okay? These are men that I respect, I listen to, I read some of what they've written. You hear me quote John Piper on a regular basis. John Piper does not believe the miraculous gifts have ceased. Some of you I know listen to a pastor by the name of Matt Chandler. He's out of Texas. Great Bible teacher. He differs from me on where I am with regards to my understanding of the miraculous gifts. A man who's written a couple books you might've heard of, Francis Chan. He differs from me on this particular issue. I say that to help you understand that there are people that are probably smarter than me in a lot of areas that disagree with me on this particular area, with where I have landed at this particular moment in my Christian experience. But I also want you to understand why I believe what I believe and why others believe what they believe, and I'm going to have to do that in about 6 minutes and 42 seconds, all right? So let me just tell you, first of all, there's two camps, two main camps in evangelicalism on where people fall with regards to the signed gifts, the miraculous gifts. The first one we refer to as a continuationist, all right? Now, if you were to write that, that word in a word document, it would underline that word, meaning what? We don't even know what that word means, all right? And it's certainly true in evangelical churches. There are a lot of you that go, I don't, never heard that terminology, all right? You can really impress people this week if you learn these two words. The first one is the continuationist. The continuationist believes that the sign gifts continue after the apostolic age. They believe that specifically tongues, that prophecy, that apostolic healing... They continue to manifest themselves, those gifts, in the age that we're living in right now. And that leads them to three generally accepted points. Number one, they believe that tongues continue. Now, there are a lot of various positions when you come to a continuationist, all the way from here to here, all right? But they believe that tongues continue. Now, some refer to as tongues, meaning biblical tongues, which we talked about a few weeks ago in Acts chapter 2, where they were given actual languages to be able to speak, to authenticate the gospel, to share with unbelieving Jews. You remember when we read that in Acts chapter 2? There are some that hold to that. There are others that believe that sometimes these are, are, are not known languages, but they're utterances of the Spirit. Right? But they believe that tongues continue. They also believe that prophecy continues. And again, under the continuationists, there would be here to here. Some believe that that's actual prophecy. Just like Ezekiel and Isaiah, when they said, thus saith the Lord in the Old Testament, they believe that today God is still using that gift and he's giving men and women the ability to be able to speak that same type of authoritative truth today. I would like, by the way, to rebut some of this along the way. We don't have time at the moment, but I'm just giving you information. There are others, however, that believe that the prophetic word is much like I would be doing this morning, and they would put it synonymously with the gift of teaching. I would say that's probably not true. It can't be that. It is very distinct in 1 Corinthians 12 and in other places in Scripture that there was a gift of prophecy and it was alongside teaching. So it has to be distinct. So it's probably not the same as teaching. Right? They also believe, thirdly, that apostolic healing continues today. In other words, just like people were healed in the book of Acts, in the early church, in the ministry of Jesus, they believe people are still healed today in that manner, that there are some Christians that are given the ability to be able to heal. It's interesting that some continuationists cast out demons of infirmity. You've heard that on TV. Some pray over cloths. You don't get that free, by the way. You've got to send in your gift, and then they'll send you a cloth. They will pray over that cloth, and that cloth then may potentially heal you. Let me define for you just real quickly what the apostolic age is. You know what an apostle is, right? So it'd be good for you if you're taking notes to write this down as well. Let me give you three qualifications for apostles and why we believe that there are no apostles today. Number one is that an apostle was a witness to the resurrected Christ, right? Which is why I'm quite sure that the church that I drove by a few days ago that said apostle so-and-so I'm pretty convinced that he's not really the kind of apostle we're talking about here. I don't think he saw Jesus. He may be old, but he's not that old, all right? Number two, not only would that apostle have seen the resurrected Christ, but they would have been explicitly chosen by the Holy Spirit. We see that in Acts chapter nine. And then lastly, they had the ability to perform signs and wonders, all right? And so that's why we say apostolic healing, that kind of healing, those kinds of signs and wonders. That's what the continuationists believe. They believe that tongues continue, that prophecy continues, and that apostolic healing continues. The contrasting view of that under evangelicalism, and this is where probably I would be most closely aligned with this morning in my understanding of scripture and my study of scripture, would be referred to as a cessationist. The cessationist believes that the sign gifts have ceased with the closing of the apostolic age. Now, let me be clear this morning and tell you this. Lest you go, oh, he doesn't believe that God does miraculous things. You know, he doesn't believe that, uh, that God gives people wisdom and discernment, and he doesn't believe that God heals people. Please don't walk away thinking that. That's not true. What the cessationist believes is that as those gifts were used in the apostolic age through the apostles those gifts have ceased. In other words, tongues have ceased. It's interesting that in in the modern day charismatic movement, that most of what we refer to as tongues looks nothing like what we saw in Acts chapter 2. Some of you have been in charismatic services, where you have seen a bunch of cacophony of sounds going on with nobody giving any interpretation of what's being said. I would submit to you that's not Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, you remember the unbelieving Jews are going, this is unbelievable! How is that stupid Galilean who's never even been to school, how are they speaking my language? Those were languages that were known. All right. A cessationist would believe that tongues in that sense have ceased, and they ceased at the end of the apostolic age. One reason why we would say that is because we now have the completed canon of Scripture. Number two... We believe that prophecy has ceased. Now, this is a, de- a bit of a debated topic in cessationist circles, but only because the definition of prophecy is sometimes debated. Some folks, as I said earlier, believe that preaching is somehow using that gift of prophecy. For me, it's not. <laughs> I can just tell you, and I said a couple weeks ago, I pray on a regular basis as I get ready to, to speak on a Sunday morning that God will allow me to speak things that are outside of my notes. Now, to some degree, God, I think, sometimes you know, says back to me, hey, you know that's going to happen because you never stick by the script. All right, But I ask God, God, give me wisdom. Give me discernment. All right, That's very different than what Ezekiel and Isaiah and other prophets in the Old Testament were doing. God was giving them very specific things. I've been a party to some people who have told me about their prophetic words, and their prophetic words have turned out to be very, very false, right? I do believe that God gives us discernment, but that prophecy is very different. But cessationists all agree that nobody gets extra biblical revelation today. In other words, this is the completed canon of Scripture. God's not gonna give me something that's contrary to what's written in here. Everything that I say, you ought to be able to challenge against the written truth of Scripture. Lastly, the cessationists believe that the apostolic healing has ceased. Cessationists understand from the Scriptures that healing as performed by the apostles was instantaneous, it was unchallenged, it was public, and it was complete physical healing, and it was manifest outwardly, And very often with very obvious physical infirmities. Like somebody who couldn't see. All of a sudden Jesus said, your sight is is there, now look. (laughs) And they went from darkness to, I can see everybody, I can now look. That always happened in the New Testament. And in fact, we don't read anywhere in Scripture, there's not recorded a single instance of Jesus or the apostles praying for healing before they actually healed someone. I really wish we had time to stop and and really dig into that. I think that's incredibly key. Jesus simply touched them, they were healed. The apostles touched them, they spoke, and they were healed. They never prayed for healing. Cessationists agree that this sort of healing has not occurred since the end of the apostolic age. In fact, the last healing that we see recorded was on the island of Malta in Acts chapter 28. And nobody in the modern era who claims to have the gift of healing does the sort of healing that we saw in the New Testament. Now, again, don't misunderstand me. That's not to say that God does not heal people. God obviously heals people. But I believe God heals people through the prayers of righteous people. And sometimes God chooses not to heal people. But I believe God is still in the healing business uh, today. Now, it's important, I, I believe, to understand that, that God does miraculously heal people every day, that God still does amazing things, and, and, and he does those very often through Christians. I've seen those things happen myself. However, these things are not necessarily the miraculous gifts of the Spirit that we see in the apostolic age. Right? Uh, the primary purpose, I believe, of the sign gifts that we see recorded in the book of Acts was to prove that the gospel was true and that the apostles were truly God's messengers. Now, I want to say this, and this is why I said this at the beginning of this particular question, that there is room for us to disagree on this issue. I've been in churches, I've, 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 I've been in, on elder teams where they would have said that if you disagree with us that the sign gifts have ceased, then this would not be a place for you to worship. I want you to know, I don't hold to that view. And you say, well, why? Well, because I'm convinced of what I'm convinced of right now as where I am in my learning process. But I also know, as I said earlier, that there are some guys that are a lot smarter than I that have become convinced of different things, right? What I do know is that it's very obvious as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 that whatever is done with regards to the sign gifts is is to be done decently and in order, And mark this down, that when you're in a service, when you're with a group of people, where there is bedlam going on, where there is chaos going on, you can be assured that those are not the activities of the biblical sign gifts. That's one thing that I do know to be true. God is still at work. God still does miraculous things. I believe he works in a different way than he did early in the New Testament in the apostolic age. All right? There's a lot there. For some of you, it just kind of all went by. And you're going, I feel the breezes as the Spirit was flowing by me. For others of you, you resonated on some of that. and I'm going to give you some stuff here in just a moment for some further study. I was going to talk about prayer languages, and I'm not, because I'm going to have to stop here in just a moment. I, very early in my ministry here at Northwest, had somebody tell me that they had a private prayer language. They said, do you have one? And I said, depends on what I had for dinner the night before, but typically no. And I don't really mean to be sarcastic. I suppose I came across that way. But I said to this person, you know, I was 20 years as a youth pastor, and no middle school or high school kid ever walked up to me and said, Hey, I have a private prayer language. I didn't deal with that stuff, right? I mean, I dealt with, you know, he doesn't like me. How can I get him to like me type stuff, you know? And so I realized very early on it's an issue. I've I've done a lot of studying. I am convinced that um, from what I can read in Scripture, that we don't have a private prayer language, that to associate that with biblical tongues, presents some very unique problems with regards to interpretation. I would say this, that if you're convinced that God's given you a private prayer language, then I would say this, and again, I don't mean this sarcastically, I say it, good for you. Good for you. That's great. And as I told this woman about uh, six and a half years ago as we started Northwest, when she told me she had a private prayer language, I believe God did give me this word through his spirit at that particular moment. I said to her, if you have a private prayer language and you've got a special connection to God, and God is answering your prayers in a unique way, we're going to know that. And we are going to be the recipients of the blessing that comes from you beseeching the throne of God. And that's awesome. And so I say that to you this morning, praying in tongues is most definitely an issue on which Christians can respectfully and lovingly disagree. And if you're here this morning and you believe you have a private prayer language, I probably disagree with you. I can give you, I think, some very firm conviction of mine in scripture on in scripture why I feel that way. But you're my brother, you're my sister. I love you and I respect you. And let's not make it an issue though, and we need to be careful with this, that we make it an issue of spiritual maturity. I sat with a gentleman not a few years ago with one of our other elders, and I asked him about his understanding of the gift of tongues. And he said, that's how you know that you, you're mature and that you've arrived. And he was a layman in his particular church, and he knew I was a pastor. And I said, well, what would you do if I told you that I've never spoken in tongues, never had that ability? He goes, well, I just pray that you'll grow in your faith and you'll be mature. And I said, that's good. I appreciate that prayer. I said, Can I walk you through why I believe that 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 gift is no longer for today? And I walked him through scripture and I said, would you mind doing the same for me? And he said, "Uh, uh, uh." I'm not really sure. I'll have to get back with my pastor and I'll have to ask him. Let me just tell you this. If you don't know your Bible well enough to be able to defend your theological positions, you probably should keep them to yourself. That would be a good thing for you to do. I say that to you lovingly as gently as a type A can say it to a group of people that he loves, all right? I welcome dialogue about spiritual gifts, about any area of theology. But if you come and speak to me, I want you to have your Bible in hand, all right? I really want you to do that. I really want you to have wrestled through the text yourself so that we have a biblical understanding. So let's not make the gift of tongues or a prayer language, let's not make it a test of fellowship with one another. Let's not make it a test of maturity. I'm more mature than you are or you're more mature than I am. Let's uh, let those things be be part of our freedom that we have in Christ. Now I was going to get into what does it mean to blaspheme the Spirit of God. We were going to talk about some other things, but we're not going to do that this morning because I want to be... uh, cognizant of your time and I don't want to abuse that uh, in any way well we are going to study more and the days to come but I want you we say this all the time I, I really I want you so badly to be self-feeders you know what I mean by that I don't want you to be like little babies that you know ooh, open up here comes a choo-choo train all right sometimes I feel like some of us if we're not careful we like being little babies right So Pastor Brian goes, come on, here's the choo-choo train, open up. And I kind of stick it right there in your mouth. Shame on you. Now, if you're a new believer, I got a really encouraging email this week from a person that's known Jesus just a very short time. And they just talked about how they're growing and how they're understanding. I'm all about the little choo-choo train for you, all right? You're trying to grow up in your faith and and you can't start with a big steak and a baked potato. Although you can't wait till you get there because it's much better than baby food, let me tell you. All right, But there's a lot of you here this morning, and you've known Jesus for a long time. You need to learn to be a self-feeder, right? Yeah, I thought we'd get at least three amens. There's always three people that will say amen. You need to learn to be a self-feeder, somebody who will read and study and wrestle with things. One of the greatest things some of you men can do, I said it a few weeks ago, is learn to be students of the Word and meditate in God's Word. that you can lead your families well so that it doesn't involve all the time, well, let's call Pastor Brian or let's call Pastor Matt. No, you know, because you're a student of the Word yourself, all right? So you need to get in the Word, but I'm also going to give you some other resources. If you only read one book this year, and some of you men will only read one book this year, some of you haven't read books at all in the last 10 years, and shame on you, by the way, you should be readers, right? Uh, Readers are leaders, and leaders are readers, all right? You need to learn to read. All right, well, hopefully you know how to read, but you need to discipline. Yeah, I guess there could be some of you, but uh, assuming you know how to read the English language, if you're going to read one book this year, read this one, Forgotten God. It's by Francis Chan. I've already said to you, he differs slightly with me on the issue of the miraculous sign gifts. His education, very similar to mine. This has probably been one of the most refreshing books in the Holy Spirit. I read it several years ago when it first came out. This is classic. It's awesome. It's great. It's fantastic. It's easy to understand. You'll love it. If you're only going to read one book this year, get Forgotten God. We got about 20 copies of it this week. They're out at the information desk. They're 10 bucks a piece. Some of you won't take the time to order it on Amazon. So go out and grab it and read it. It'll be awesome, all right? Here's another book. If you're going to read 100 books this year, make this the 101st, all right? And I only say that because it's a really great book, but it's, it's deep. Like, this is this is like asparagus, all right? This is stuff like we don't eat, right? I mean, amen? Will, you don't eat asparagus, do you? All right, but some of you eat Brussels sprouts and asparagus. Good for you. Your parents are doing a good job, all right? This is still, for me, it's asparagus, it's Brussels sprouts, all right? Yeah, this, is, this is stuff like you don't normally chew on, right here. Well, I normally don't chew on, all right? The thing I love about this, and most pastors won't let you, won't recommend this to you, and here's why. Because what most pastors want to do, and some of you have been in churches like this, they want to tell you what they're convinced of, and that's what you should be convinced of too. By the way, this is not primary doctrine. I'm talking secondary stuff where good people disagree. They only want you to believe what they want you to believe. I want you to be self-feeders. I want you to study. I want you to know what a continuationist believes and why they believe it. And I want to be able to defend why I believe, and I've come to this conclusion. This book does this for you, all right? Our Miraculous Gifts for Today. And what it will do for you is you will wrestle with, for example, the cessationist will in about 70 pages, not in a two-minute question, will, will talk about his view, and then there are four other viewpoints which will rebut his view, which is really awesome. And then the continuationist will do that, and then the cessationist and others will rebut that. If you really want to go down deep, good book for you right here, all right? Some of you have, um, have read The Five Languages of Love, right? How many of you have read The Five Languages of Love? Okay, I know a lot of you have. That's a great book. That talks about, you know, our love languages and all, all that. This book here probably has had the greatest impact on me with regards to my temperament of any book I've read in the last 20 years. It's Tim LaHaye's book, classic book, called The Spirit-Controlled Temperament. It will go through the different temperaments, and it will tell you what your temperament looks like when it's controlled by the Spirit of God and what it looks like when it's not. Very early in ministry, I recognized, well, I recognized before I got in ministry, that I was a type A, I was fairly driven, pretty loud, pretty opinionated, and early in ministry, I really felt like I was beat up a lot for that. And when I read Tim LaHaye's book and realized that I could be a type A under the control of the Spirit of God, it really transformed the way that I live my daily life. And I would really recommend this for some of you to read. Another one is D.A. Carson's book, Showing the Spirit. This is a theological exposition of 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. If you're going to read 200 books this year and you get to 201, this would be the one, all right? This is deep. This is really deep. This is like the beets that my grandmother made me eat when I was a kid, all right? I would not regularly go there, all right? But this is really, really good stuff. D.A. Carson differs from me. One of the most brilliant theologians of our time And he does a masterful job in 1 Corinthians 12-14, even though he comes to a little bit of a different conclusion on some of the things that are in that particular text. The last one is written by probably the most well-known cessationist theologian right now in our country, and that's John MacArthur. John MacArthur had a conference this last fall called Strange Fire, where uh, he was confronting the continuationists, those that are in the the charismatic uh, world. And uh, he wrote a book called Strange Fire. For some of you, you need to read this. You've come from maybe that fringe area, and this would be a really good book for you to read. If, if, you're, if you're honest, right? And you want to kind of understand maybe a little different view than what you've been used to, this would be a good, work, a good book. John MacArthur sometimes is a little abrasive. In fact, uh, on a regular basis, he's rather abrasive. I really appreciate the way he's handled this particular issue in this book. I think he does it with gentleness and with kindness, even to those that disagree with him who are under that conservative evangelical umbrella. Some of you, I saw you writing it down. You'll get those books. Others of you, it's flying over your head, maybe at a later time. It will, and we'll certainly come back to the doctrine of the Holy Spirit in the weeks and months ahead. I hope that you've appreciated what we've done here, even though I know it seems like a fire hose that I've kind of hooked it up to a hydrant and I'm just kind of spraying it all over the place and you're, you're overwhelmed. Hopefully this is just wet your appetite a little bit to understand the role and the work of the Spirit of God in our lives as Christians today. That's my prayer for you. Because the Spirit of God, whether or not we believe that the miraculous sign gifts are, are, are being manifested as they were in the early church, we do know this that the Spirit of God is alive and well. He's living inside of those of us who have named the name of Jesus, and we know that he's doing great and awesome things in this world for the sake and the cause of the gospel. And we can firmly hold to that and believe in that. Therefore, we need to understand his work. And I pray that you'll continue to do that.